Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 123, Apple's new Wall Street story. I am Neil. It's been more than a month since we last talked to each other. I've been getting some questions and messages from people. Where did I go? Hopefully everything has been okay. Unfortunately, my absence from this podcast was due to some sad news. A few weeks ago, my mother passed away. My mother is my biggest role model. She serves as so much inspiration to me, my family, really anyone who met her. The headline for my mother's obituary, loving mother, grandmother, and respected educator, only begins to describe how she impacted so many lives. Over the past few weeks, I've received so many messages and condolences from people, from many of you, Above Avalon listeners, to Above Avalon readers, subscribers, people on Twitter. I've gotten emails. It may not seem like a big deal, but those messages, they helped, and they're very much appreciated. We're going to get to today's episode, but I wanted to share one quick story about my mom. I record these podcast episodes on Fridays. And so like clockwork, every Friday around 8 a.m., I would receive a call from my mom. And she would want to know what was going to be my recording schedule for that day. Because she didn't want to call email or message me during those hours. She didn't want a notification to go up on my phone or my watch. Of course, right about now, I'm craving for one of those notifications. My mother did listen to some of these episodes and she got a kick out of them. And I know she probably would be wondering, when's the next episode coming? And one thing that I've been thinking about over the past few weeks is, I really like doing these episodes. They bring a lot of joy to me. So it is time for a new Above Avalon podcast episode, and that's what we're going to do right now. Earlier this week, I published an article over at AboveAvalon.com titled, Apple Found a Wall Street Narrative. And this is actually the second part of a discussion we kicked off back in July, 2017. We'll have to go back to episode 102, Apple Cash Influence. My initial thesis was that Wall Street is approaching Apple differently. Over the past year, there hasn't been any evidence to disprove my theory. And so what I did was I expanded on my initial thoughts. And I think Apple has actually found a sustainable Wall Street narrative. Notice what has occurred over the past few months. We have gotten analysts slashing their iPhone sales estimates. And this has occurred even today. There are a number of reports of analysts uh, being quite nervous, sounding the alarms about iPhone sales for the coming quarters. Expectations have been reset, I think it's fair to say. The iPhone mega upgrade cycle of 2018, something of which I was never on board with, but which a lot of analysts were really running forward with, it's not gonna happen anymore. No one is calling for some sort of mega upgrade cycle in the iPhone business. Now one would assume that such an expectations reset would have been accompanied by a significant decline in Apple stock price. We're not talking a decline of 2 3 4%, but a dramatic drop. Instead, look what happened. Apple shares outperformed the market in 2017. And they were outperforming the market in 2018. As of this recording, they're just about flat with the market. That's surprising. And in fact, Apple shares, they're still trading pretty close to near all-time highs. My theory is the resiliency in Apple's stock price reflects the company finally finding a narrative 
on Wall Street. And that narrative, it's not centered on the iPhone. It's not centered on even Apple services or this idea of an Apple ecosystem. Instead, Apple now is a capital allocation story. We've talked a lot about Wall Street narratives on this podcast, and for a simple reason. Narratives matter. They're a big deal on Wall Street. A compelling and easy-to-understand narrative allows companies to navigate rough waters. So if a company reports pretty disappointing earnings, but their narrative is strong enough, that company can actually survive that earnings report without too much volatility in the stock price, without people sounding the alarm or running to the sidelines. Right now, I think Amazon and Netflix possess some of the strongest narratives on Wall Street. For Amazon, the story is all about coming up with the best retail experience for customers. Accordingly, look at how Wall Street is okay with Amazon taking a good portion of its operating cash flow, funneling it right back into the business. Why? Well, it's part of the story. Amazon's taking that cash flow, investing it in order to become a better retailer. So Wall Street's okay with that. Netflix. The narrative is the company's focus on delivering a superb entertainment experience. Subscriber dollars are used to fund additional video content. Wall Street is okay that the focus is on subscriber growth and not profits. Meanwhile, look at Apple. Apple has long struggled with Wall Street narratives. I think a very good argument can be made that Apple has never had a genuine Wall Street narrative. Instead, if we go back to the 2000s and maybe even the early 2010s, Apple was merely judged by unit sales growth of whatever its best-selling product was at the time. So if they reported earnings and iPhone sales were great, I think most people would have been happy about that. If an earnings report came out and iPhone sales are negative, watch out below. Now, this is a challenge because unit sales growth will inevitably slow. So you don't want a narrative that's just tied to that one metric. In addition, a narrative that's just about unit sales growth, I think it ignores all the attributes that makes Apple's business model unique. Instead, Apple is just viewed as a hardware company, and that's not true. In early 2016, it started to look like Apple management wanted a new narrative. And what they began doing was disclosing new data points in order to get Wall Street to think about the company differently. And this is when we received the data point, install-based related purchases. So instead of just looking at the services line item and using that to denote the amount of revenue that was being driven by Apple's install base, management said, well, look at the install base related purchases total. This is a much higher number because it included all of the revenue that's retained by third-party app developers and digital content owners. A few quarters later, Apple then began to disclose the number of paid subscriptions. Well, why? I think it's an effort to demonstrate Apple's ability to monetize the iOS base beyond just hardware sales. The other point Apple was trying to make was that they possess this stream of consistent revenue. So when you have analysts and investors that are nervous about the quarterly gyrations in iPhone unit sales, 
Well, Apple's saying, take a look at this revenue stream. You're not going to see all of that volatility. And now we have Apple recently disclosing the number of devices in use. Well, why give that number? It's to highlight the strength of the Apple ecosystem. On the surface, it may seem like an Apple narrative that's revolving around services or ecosystem strength. That must be an attractive one for the company. More attractive than a narrative that's just about unit sales growth. The thing is, I think there are major holes in narratives involved in services and ecosystems. For example, with Apple services, a significant portion of that services revenue is tied to growth in the iPhone install base. According to my estimates, Apple has grown the iPhone install base by more than 100 million users per year since 2013. What happens when the growth in the iPhone install base begins to slow? I think Apple services revenue growth will face a headwind. And there is evidence that that phase has already begun to occur. So then people turn to this narrative that's involving the Apple ecosystem and the number of devices in use. And they're saying, okay, well, this may actually be a better narrative because it addresses some of the downsides found with a services narrative. So even if product sales slow, even if services revenue growth slows, the number of active devices in use could still increase in theory. There's a problem with that. With an ecosystem narrative, Apple ends up being judged by growth rates, this time in terms of the number of devices in the wild. That brings up questions about sustainability. That's my main concern with a services narrative or ecosystem narrative. There's no evidence that Apple can stick with those narratives over time. They're not sustainable. In addition, I don't think either is able to capture the attributes that make Apple unique. Apple isn't a services company. Apple doesn't come up with products just to prop up an ecosystem. There has to be something more there. The product has to provide value. It has to be a useful tool for people. Evidence is building that Wall Street has begun looking at Apple differently. And as we mentioned a few minutes ago, I think this trend started in mid-2017. I have an exhibit over at AboveAvalon.com that compares Apple stock price performance to the S&P 500. And it's pretty remarkable. In 2017, Apple outperformed the S&P 500 by a wide margin. Shares were up 48%. And that was nearly double that of the S&P 500. And what was more interesting was Apple continued to outperform the broader market in 2018, even though there was an increase in market volatility. Many people looked at that outperformance as a sign that Apple management's efforts to weave a new narrative, they must be working. Wall Street must be paying attention to Apple services revenue growth. They must be paying attention to the broader strength found in the Apple ecosystem. To make things even more confusing, we then had a significant portion of the press say that Apple's stock outperformance was due to iPhone expectations. So lofty sales expectations for the iPhone X, that's the reason driving Apple's stock price in 2017. None of those explanations for Apple's stock outperformance sat well with me. Instead, I think there's something else at play here. In July 2017, I wrote 
quote, the iPhone no longer has the same kind of influence over Apple's shares as it once did. Instead, Apple has turned into a balance sheet optimization story on Wall Street. Apple's growing net cash balance has taken the place of iPhone unit sales growth as the most influential variable impacting Apple's shares, end quote. Since I published that, there has been no evidence disproving my theory. While we may have days or weeks where Apple is weak versus the market, for example, the past few days, but it's very difficult to take the daily fluctuation in Apple's stock price and pinpoint that to a specific reason, a specific analyst report, or a data point from a supplier. Instead, I look at the big picture. I look at what the monthly trends are. I look at how Apple has been trending over time versus the market. And there's no question that the stock has not been following this narrative that iPhone sales are the only thing that matters. Because we went from an era where people were expecting a mega upgrade cycle, an era of new growth, to now I don't see anyone talking positively about the iPhone business. Meanwhile, Apple's valuation multiples, they've gone up. The stock price, it's pretty much at the same levels. It hasn't been going down. What could explain this? What's going on? Apple has found a narrative revolving around capital allocation. So instead of iPhone sales or Apple services revenue gaining importance, Apple's balance sheet strategy is driving the company's new story on Wall Street. There are three core tenets to this capital allocation narrative. We'll go over each briefly. The first, superb cash flow generation. Apple's business model predisposes the company to superior cash flow generation. What does that mean? In my opinion, Apple is able to monetize premium experiences more effectively and more efficiently than anyone else out there. Instead of chasing scale, which inevitably would bring Apple into unattractive parts of the market, Apple sells tools that management think people will want and are willing to pay for. Scale ends up being a byproduct of a successful strategy. Apple is generating more than $60 billion of operating cash flow per year. The second piece of this narrative is capital efficiency. Apple's business model is remarkably efficient in terms of the amount of capital required to generate those significant cash flows. Apple doesn't own a complex web of factories. Instead, they use a network of third-party suppliers and assemblers that are second to none. Look how the company approaches capital expenditures. They're very focused when it comes to funding new opportunities, when it comes to funding organic growth. As a result of all those actions, Apple reports more free cash flow than Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon combined. That's a key piece of this capital allocation strategy. The third tenet, returning access capital to shareholders. So since Apple has so much free cash flow generation, the company's kicking off more cash than management needs to fund growth opportunities. What are they going to do with that cash? They could sit on it. They could take the cash and put it in unattractive projects. They could chase some M&A deals that everyone's been saying they should do. Instead, management has shown the willingness 
to return the excess cash to shareholders via share repurchases and quarterly cash dividends. Apple is a capital utilization machine, spending out more than $50 billion of free cash flow every year, nearly all of which will be used to fund the company's capital return program. Notice how this capital allocation narrative isn't driven by any one particular product. So if Apple does report weaker iPhone sales, I don't think that will derail the narrative. Meanwhile, what if certain parts of Apple's business actually do really well? What if Apple Watch revenue exceeds expectations? What if Apple services business continues to grow, continues to exceed management's expectations? I don't think that's going to derail this narrative either. Why? Apple's new narrative is all about management's unique philosophy regarding how shareholder capital is used to generate future cash flows. If Apple reports stronger product sales, that will lead to additional cash flow, and then Apple will have more cash for buyback and cash dividends. If Apple reports weaker product sales, that would be a reduction of cash flow and less cash for share purchases and cash dividends. In either case, this capital allocation strategy can still apply to Apple. Because at its core, a capital allocation narrative describes Apple as a design-led organization. This is a company that's tasked with developing tools for people. Apple doesn't come up with products just to drive revenue, just to generate cash flows. This is a company that's passing over many ideas in order to focus on a few really great ideas. This is a company that's keeping a very focused product line. They're focused on working closely with contract manufacturers to come up with new processes to actually build all of these products. Notice how all of those variables, they play a role in describing this capital allocation narrative, but they also help describe Apple's design culture. So in an interesting twist, this capital allocation narrative it begins to bridge the gap between describing Apple the stock and Apple the company. One's focus on future cash flows, one's focus on coming up with new products. They're fundamentally different. But I think this capital allocation story, it does a better job at trying to bridge the two versus any narrative that's based on one product like iPhone or iPad or one business line, or one financial line item, like services. Instead, I think it's a combination of things. It's the process of generating cash flow. It's the process of being very efficient in terms of capital expenditures. And then it's what you do with all that excess cash. Do you sit on it, or do you give it back to shareholders? At this point, let's turn to some implications found with Apple possessing a capital allocation narrative on Wall Street. I came up with four. Number one, quarterly iPhone sales won't matter as much. This one's pretty straightforward. While there will continue to be value in monitoring iPhone sales trends on a quarterly basis, I don't think Wall Street will care as much about the quarterly gyrations in iPhone unit sales growth. This is my theory for why a lot of these negative iPhone reports have simply been tossed aside by the market. In addition, we can test this theory when Apple reports earnings. 
And so we'll see how iPhone sales are versus expectations. We'll see how Apple's guidance is versus expectations. And then watch what the stock price does in the days, weeks, and months that follow. I think that's key. You can't just go by the day after earnings. You have to give it some time. You have to see how the marketplace acts towards Apple over time. The second implication, the level of free cash flow will gain influence. I don't think Wall Street's emphasis will be on any one particular product. Instead, it's going to be on the collective result of new products like Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, HomePod, new services. All of those new products are going to contribute to Apple's overall cash flow picture. So it is possible that we enter this scenario where wearables, Apple Watch and wireless AirPods, and services revenue growth will offset any cash flow or revenue weakness in the iPhone business. The third implication, Apple's capital return program will continue to matter. I think new disclosures related to the share buyback and cash dividends, they do have the potential to move the share price higher or lower, depending on how the data point compares expectations. It seems like the debate right now among a lot of analysts is whether Apple's capital return program is priced into the stock. What that means is that the market is already expecting very big news in terms of share buyback and cash dividends. So if Apple indeed announces those big numbers, that means no one's going to be surprised. In my view, I think the big unknown here is the pace of buyback. So it may not be necessarily the quantity that matters, but will Apple actually buy back shares in relatively short order? I don't know if you're going to even get a lot of those answers in two weeks when Apple reports earnings. And lastly, the fourth implication found with Apple possessing a capital allocation narrative is that new initiatives may be judged more strictly. So traditionally, Wall Street hasn't cared much about new Apple products initiatives because they've amounted to basically financial rounding errors next to iPhone. For example, Apple Watch. It's been difficult to find people really making a big deal about Apple Watch from a financial perspective. I'm sure the same thing could apply to HomePod, Apple TV, the list goes on. With a capital allocation narrative, I do think increased attention may move to new strategies, new products. And people are going to want to know, do those new products have the potential to change Apple's thought process regarding capital and the balance sheet? A good example of this is if Apple enters a new industry and you find that cash flows just aren't as attractive, Apple needs to spend a lot more in the way of capital expenditures to generate those cash flows, that type of development would be judged more strictly under a capital allocation narrative. One other thing that I think a capital allocation narrative has done to Apple is change the way the market is valuing Apple's shares. Over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, I have an exhibit two. And it compares the change in Apple's stock price to Apple's market cap and Apple's enterprise value. And something interesting appears. Apple's stock price is up more than the percentage increase in market cap. And I think this is due to two factors. I think the market is valuing Apple's future cash flows at a higher multiple. And I think Apple's cash that's sitting on the balance sheet is being priced differently since the share buyback program is active. 
I think both of those developments are a result of Apple's capital allocation strategy taking hold. When you compare the growth in Apple market cap to Apple enterprise value. So Apple market cap, what you're doing is you're taking the stock price, multiplying it by the shares outstanding. With enterprise, you're taking the market cap, you're adding the debt, and then you're subtracting the cash. So they're slightly different. When you look at the growth in enterprise value, nearly all of the increase is simply due to the higher market cap. That's another way of saying Apple's net cash balance has basically remained unchanged for the past five years. That tells us something here. The market is attaching a higher valuation to Apple's future cash flows. And when you take a closer look at the multiples, I have Apple shares currently trading at a 13.5 forward price to earnings multiple. So that is taking a look at the next 12 months of earnings. I'm using my estimates for Apple earnings. So you're taking the stock price, dividing it by earnings per share for the next 12 months. And that gives you the forward price to earnings multiple. Well, two years ago, Apple's forward price to earnings multiple was closer to 10.5. So Apple has experienced a nearly 30% increase in valuation multiple. When we look at the growth in market cap and enterprise value, since the beginning of 2016, Apple has grown those metrics by nearly $330 billion. It's a little bit lower given the recent stock price weakness. Those are significant moves. I think they indicate a major shakeup in Apple's shareholder base and the way Wall Street is looking at this company, thinking about this company. Investors are focused on Apple's ability to generate significant free cash flows and returning that excess cash to shareholders via share repurchase and cash dividends. Despite the increase in multiples, it's interesting how Apple's shares are still trading at a 20% discount to the S&P 500. If this capital allocation narrative was so attractive, so compelling, how are Apple shares trading at a discount to the market? That doesn't seem to add. It doesn't seem to match up. I think some of that valuation discount may be due to Apple's narrative not being as simple as other stories on Wall Street. I also think the narrative may be polarizing. Not every investor is behind this narrative. Some investors may have little confidence in Apple's ability to continue generating robust levels of free cash flow. We can point to concerns around competition, Apple's inability to innovate. Each one of those factors can lead to more pessimistic cash flow projections. This is where we have to consider Apple's share buyback program. Apple has likely seen massive turnover in its investor base since launching its share buyback program. What that means is if you took a picture of Apple's shareholder base back when the company began buying back shares, and you compare it to what the shareholder base looks like today, they probably will look very different from each other. Maybe today shareholders are interested in different things. They're judging Apple differently. Instead of revenue growth, instead of iPhone unit sales growth, they're more interested in consistency in revenue. They may be more interested in dividend yields, free cash flow generation. 
So you've seen that turnover in the investor base. Over the past four years, Apple has used share buyback to reduce the number of shares outstanding by 23%. Stories are everything on Wall Street. And Apple is likely using its share buyback program to buy back shares from existing shareholders that aren't buying into this capital allocation story. When you go back over the past few years, Apple has been the largest buyer of Apple shares thanks to its buyback program. In my mind, there is no question that this dynamic has played a role in Apple's stock price outperformance versus the market since the beginning of 2016. The good thing about this new Apple Wall Street story is that we're going to have opportunity to test my theory. We can take a look at Apple's upcoming earnings, take a look at how the company performs versus expectations, and what ends up happening to the stock price over the following days, weeks, and months. We can also look to see how Apple chooses to emphasize certain data points. This is a company that will embrace this capital allocation story completely? Or do you see Apple continue to want people and investors to focus on different aspects of the company? In essence, we get a check on this every three months of earnings. That's one reason why I always look forward to earnings, because it gives us that opportunity to see, are we on the right track of our thinking? Or do we have to go back to the drawing board? revise our methodology or expectations or our theories. That's going to do it for today's episode. Speaking of Apple's earnings, I'm a few days away from publishing my earnings preview for Apple's fiscal year second quarter 2018. I will send that preview out to above Avalon subscribers via a number of daily emails. So if you're a subscriber, look for those in your email. If you're not a subscriber, you can become a subscriber. You could receive my earnings preview. And then once Apple releases earnings, I will publish my earnings review. So we go over major themes from the report. And I also go over my full notes from the earnings report, the conference call, and my earnings model. So in order to receive all of that information, all of that analysis, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon subscriber. Head on over to aboveavalon.com and then go to the subscribe page. A subscription is either $10 per month or $100 per year. And the cornerstone of an Above Avalon subscription is access to my exclusive daily email all about Apple. So each email is about 2,000 words and covers everything that I think matters in the world of Apple. If you enjoy the analysis found in these weekly episodes, or in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, and you want more of that type of analysis throughout the week, I think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon subscriber. Last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a review or rating for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, it helps introduce the podcast to new people. So thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week.